dealing with overly exuberant children, contentious social situations, or just a feeling that this time of year between the kids with the gimmies and everything else going on, you're just not enjoying your December like you wish you could? Well, I have got a solution for you. I'm offering something called Handle the Holidays Without Drowning Your Sorrows in Holiday Punch or Calling the Whole Thing Off. And it is a five-day free challenge. And the way that challenges work, the way that I do them anyway, is every day of the challenge, which starts December the 18th, you get a an email beamed right into your inbox with a little, with a piece of the challenge that is small enough that you can handle it in one day. And by the end of these five days, you are looking at December with a whole new and fresh and happy outlook. And it's... I've done these challenges before. The one I did in September called Streamline the Streamline Your Mornings um, just brought such happiness to people because their their whole morning had changed. It wasn't like freaking out and and yelling as we're trying to get out the door and where's my other shoe? I've lost it and all that kind of stuff. It was like it was like a, an organized crack team of people who were really who were doing it. And this is the same idea only for the end of December when the kids are off of school. A lot of times people are visiting family or having family in and there's just so much that can can go wrong and can be tough over these over these last few weeks of December and I want to get you all ready for it with the handle the holidays challenge. And to to sign up for it, because signups are going on right now, uh, you can go to weturnedoutokay.com slash December, All one word, December. The links to it are in the show notes, so you don't even have to actually physically type that in if you don't want to. You can just go to uh, go into the show notes and click the link that you'll find there. And you just sign up. You give me your email address, and I send you every day of the challenge, I send you a little... Um, like a little challenge for you to do. And then that way you're feeling like you you got a little win on this day and this day and this day. And the other really cool thing is you can also join the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group, the private Facebook group over there. And that on, on the Friday of the challenge, I'm going to do a handle the holidays wrap up live Facebook event. So um, join, please, please. If you are struggling at this time of year, and you think this might be helpful, I really encourage you to give it a try. I think it will be helpful. And um, I hope you do too. All right, on with the show. Come on, guys. We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I'm going to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. I am so excited to bring you a returning champion today, a three time returning champion. Today's guest has come on the show to talk about the importance of play in kids' growth and development and in how to develop kids' coping skills. And today I am welcoming back Janine Holleran of EncouragePlay.com and CopingSkillsForKids.com. Welcome, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting to be here. <laughs> to be here in person. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to turn mine up a little bit. I feel like I don't hear myself well enough. There we go. Okay. We're just, we are... Um, we're recording in person today, which is super exciting. I'm so psyched to do this. We, um, it's it's actually really rare. I mean, I, you know, I live here in the Northeast, so I don't I don't really go, you know, I don't get to be in person with people who are in California or Australia or or whatever. And in fact, last time we talked, you were in California. Yes, I was in California. We yeah. moved back, and it was there were some transition issues, but now things are settling, so we're moving, we've done it. Good. Was it was it transition issues with like coming back into like was it a was it a pace kind of a thing? I don't know if California is different in that way or. The, so there was a there were a few different things that happened. So when we moved out there, our entire house was furnished, and so we didn't have to worry about getting furniture together and doing an, uh, any of that sort of stuff. It was basically let's get our boxes, let's unpack, and let's go grocery shopping mm-hmm. and <laughs> let's find the closest grocery store. It was 
phenomenal. So when we moved back, we rented our home. So there was um, just that transition of moving back into our house. We actually had gotten rid of a lot of our older furniture and we had planned to buy, you know, a little bit more streamlined, trying to just minimalize the amount of things we've had. And Mm So we had to then buy new furniture. My husband and I didn't have a bed. We didn't have... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No. I mean, it was one of those things. Our kids' beds were broken down. Um, But then there was also the transition of my husband actually started working outside of the home again. So for the last four years, he has worked from home. for the And through maybe two jobs, he's worked through um, at home. And so this was a little bit unusual. He had started this job in California... With the understanding that when he moved back, we he would be going into the office. Mm-hmm. So there was... Okay, so you knew that was coming anyway. We knew it was coming, but that was actually really challenging because then there were times when, you know, I'd want to just run to Target and get a few things and I'd have to look at the kids and say, all right, guys, you have to get in the car with me because I can't go by myself. Oh, yeah. Because they're too little to leave at home yep. for any yep. length of time. So they had to come with me and so there was that transition as well but the kids started at the same school again that they used they went to before we moved so that actually was a really smooth transition so my son has the same second grade teacher my daughter had oh cool so and you know it's the, cool if you if you liked that teacher <laughs> she was phenomenal she continues to be phenomenal and uh, she's pregnant again and she was pregnant with my daughter wow. when my daughter was there so um, and the principal's wonderful the school is just a great community so it it's nice to actually be back there and everybody is, you know, welcoming and saying we missed you mm-hmm. and it's just really nice. So what makes what makes a great teacher? What makes this teacher so amazing? You know, she well, I always for as a parent, I love an organized teacher. Mm-hmm. A teacher who has their stuff together, who will let me know when things are coming up. And I think there is some comfort in the sameness of, Mm -hmm. you know, so I remember, you know, they just got their Tom the Turkey project. And I remember my daughter having to do the Tom the Turkey project. Mm -hmm. But what's great is that she communicates really well with us. Oh, excellent. She, uh, if there's ever a problem, she lets us know. But she also isn't going to be overly... It's not too much. It's just it's that just right balance, which is so hard to figure out for yeah. some t- for some kids. You know, if my son, my daughter didn't really have to have any sort of interventions, but my son does. So we've had a couple of conversations about that. We know that parent teacher conferences are coming up, so we'll see what happens mm-hmm. there. Um, but it's it's the just right amount of communication and just very clear expectations too. So she sent home a homework expectations um, sheet at the beginning of the year and said, this is what I expect them to do every night. This is what um, you should do. This is how you should do it. This and just the clarity Mm -hmm. makes my life a million times easier. (laughs) Cool. That's cool. That's a lot of good reasons. Um, I, was I, you know, went out to your websites to you know, check them out. And um, I really, I kind of got, uh, I went down the, joyfully went down the rabbit hole at copingskillsforkids.com. It's been redesigned. And, yeah. and and you were just saying that you did that, right? Yes, I did. And it was, I actually redesigned both of them. So I have these two websites and, you know, as you know, as things go on and you get better at what you're supposed to be focusing on and figuring out where your audience is and what they need, it really helps you sort of focus what you do. So it, it, it really helped me design both of them in a different way to make it, make it so much easier for teachers and for parents to just be able to come and say, I need help trying to figure out if my kid needs a therapist. I need help trying to figure out what sort of toys would be good mm-hmm. for my kid. So it it took a long time, especially actually Encourage Play took longer. I don't know why, but it just did. Just trying to get the message right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm in, I only have one website and I'm in feeling like I'm in current, like, oh my gosh, heads, you know, forehead smack. I should have done that differently. I right. should be doing this differently. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm trying anyway to enjoy the journey. You know yes. what I mean? Like it, it, it's it was pretty good when I started. It's better now, and I know it will be better before long. <laughs> right, kind of a thing. So there were um, there were two posts that really stood out for me that I absolutely loved. Um, one was called "How to Teach Kids Coping Skills to Manage Big Feelings," and I wondered if we could talk a little bit about big feelings and what they are, and you know maybe a, a, a one of those ways or a couple of those ways to teach kids how to 
how to handle them. Sure. So big feelings. I When I think about big feelings, I think about any feeling that is that can be overwhelming. It can be, it feels like you can't contain it in your body. You know, Mm. if you are a little bit happy or a little bit sad or a little bit angry, it it seems like you might be able to manage it. But when it gets really super huge where you can't, you, it it feels like it has to come out of your body in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And that's where it can get really tricky for kids. Um, How do I, first of all, just even labeling the feeling. So sometimes kids will feel, but they don't know what it is. So actually, one of the big things is, what are you feeling? And being able to help them label, is this anger? Is this sadness? Is it frustration? Is it a combination? Because a lot of times, feelings are mixed. There's a lot of different emotions that come into different uh, situations that you might have. So it's tricky to even just figure that out. Like, which, which emotion am I feeling? And what is going on for me right now? And then how to do deal with it? How can I express this emotion in a safe and healthy way? Mm-hmm. And that can be a little bit tricky too for kids mm-hmm. and adults. More, maybe more than I was. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking even for myself. So I am a um, I'm a live storyteller. And I've won, you know, I've competed in I've won a couple of story slams. Um, and I've moved into something called featured telling, which is where I um, I go, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to a telling night and like, I'm, I'm one of the featured tellers and I get to be up on stage. I'm making a little bit of money from it. It's kind of, it's That's like neat. really fun actually. Um, and I, in fact, I think I like the featured stuff or, you know, going on stage without a, without the competitive aspect of it. I think I even like that better. Um, it's, I find in myself, I've been finding myself sort of like not, if I'm, if I'm doing it with other people, I'm like, oh, that story was better than mine. Oh, dang it. They're going to, you know, like, right. oh, okay, who's keeping track of scores? Not so much paying attention to like, what is this story about? And, and, and what is this person feeling? You know what I mean? And um, I'm right now working on one. So in combination with that, I, well, not in combination, but it, it ha- coincidentally, the timing has worked out that I am um, teaching a two week storytelling workshop at my son's school. That's neat. And um, and the thing that's so cool about the school is that the kids, they're teenagers, so the kids, I think they're from 14 to 17 in this in the workshop, um, they have the choice of going or not going. They can choose their classes. Interesting. And it is. It's very interesting. And so I kind of had to sell it a little bit. I had to be like, because right. I, I was you know, afraid that I would, I, I had, I was like, okay, nobody wants to take it. It's all right. I'm, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> right. fine with it. But I, I ended up running out of chairs in this class. Wow. And, um, and then I, I sort of felt like, okay, my, now I've got some people in here. My next goal is to make it so that they, they forget about their cell phones. So that was my next goal. And I was able to do that for the most part. I mean, you know, every once in a while a kid checks their cell phone, but, right. um, but not, I would say 90% of the class didn't, pull it out once wow. I was like oh my god that's, that's cool. impressive and and they asked these amazing 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 questions and I had already been planning I'm, I have a storytelling tomorrow night and I'd already been planning it's it's they're usually organized around a topic so tomorrow night's is called on the move so people are gonna be telling stories that in where in which moving from place to place maybe or you know something like that is prominent um and I had a story planned that I'm teaching these kids on Monday and I've already got the story. I'm, you know, three quarters of the way worked it out. I, I haven't tried it in front of a mirror or anything yet, but I'm getting there. And I'm telling the kids things like, okay, you know, so a story has a beginning, a middle and an end, really basic stuff. And um, stories don't throw anybody under the bus without their permission. Like those kinds of things that, that you know, that, and, and in the, just the idea that kids sometimes feel like, well, I, I'm only 14. I don't have any stories. And it's like, yes, yes you, you do. You do. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, and I, I finished the class and it was awesome. They had so many good questions and just felt really, really good. And I'm on the way home and I realized my story that I'm planning for this coming night sucks. Oh no. It doesn't have a beginning, a middle or an end. It's kind of a, a, a collection of, they're not random thoughts, but they're just thoughts on a subject. They're not like, they're not, it's not a good story. So I was like, all right. And I, I started thinking about like, what I started thinking about some of the things I talked to them about. And because um, I, you know, part of part of it is my own stories come up. And I, um, 
I wanted them to know that you can tell stories to, to forge a connection with someone. You can tell a story to kind of get it out, although it's better if it's a scar, not an open wound is, you know, another, right. another way to put it. But anyway, I ended up telling them a little bit about um, uh, it. Peripherally, I was I was uh, sexually abused when I was seven. And um, the story is about telling my mom that, but I didn't tell her about it till I was 21. Wow. And, um, and it's a, it's a really good story, um, with a good ending basically. And I, um, I realized that that's the story I've got to tell tomorrow night. So I've kind of been working on it today. And as I'm, there's a reason why I'm sort of going in this direction. Um, as I'm telling this story to myself, as I'm writing the draft, I'm realizing that the, the main feeling in that story for me is that my mom, um, would she, when she hears and understands what has happened to me, she was actually in the house at the time. And I mean, she was devastated by this of idea course. that like she was even there and she, she didn't know she couldn't help. Um, and all the time, to- all this time between when I was seven and when I was 20, when she finally heard, you know, my words, I thought she knew and understood. I thought she knew and just wasn't, oh, didn't think it was a big deal, whatever. And, um, I'm realizing that this, the, the way the story ends for me is that my mom finally just gives me the validation and the acknowledgement, you know, that I had been craving all of my life. I've been through therapy and stuff like that and right. not even realizing that that was what I needed. Right. And so you're talking about these big feelings, you know what I mean? And, and just how hard it can be. If it's hard, to, you know, if I'm now 46 and now I've had my mother and I have been reconciled about this for years, you know what I mean? And I'm still realizing the big feelings in that moment. Right. After all this time, it, just think about how hard it is for a child who doesn't have words like acknowledgement or validation or right. or frustration even or um, you know, or anger or whatever. Right. It, the the big feelings are there and that's one of the things that's so interesting because I think sometimes people look at kids and they think, well, they can't get stressed out or they can't be really super angry about something or they can't be frustrated. Of course they can. They are human. Yeah. And they're going to get mad. They're going to get frustrated. And you know what? It may not be over the same thing that you might be mad about. They might be really frustrated at that kid who wouldn't let them play. Yeah. That's legitimate. Yeah. It's so easy for parents to be like, oh, that's not such a big deal. Don't worry about that. And that's like the exact opposite of what we need to do. (laughs) Oh, my. We were just talking about this. I was at a workshop yesterday. We were talking about that. We are trained to positive to positively invalidate their feelings. Oh my gosh, what an expression! <laughs> I'm writing some stuff down that you're saying, so that's that's one of the things I'm going to write down. Um, positively, okay. We are trained to positively invalidate their feeling. Wow. And it was, and you know, I've been a therapist for like, what seventeen years at this point, and it was it it was an interesting thing, especially when you're working in schools as a teacher. You're your instinct is to say, you know, if a kid sa- says to you, I'm a loser and I'm no good, I like you. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. No, of you're not. not. I like you. But it doesn't really validate their feeling of feeling like a loser. Yeah. And feeling left out. They still feel that way. Maybe yeah. you do like them and maybe you do enjoy their company, but you have to stop first and say, I understand why you could feel that way yeah. because this, this, and this. I still like you. I still enjoy your company. And I've seen you play with this kid or that kid. And then it gets kind of tricky because then there are kids where they really do feel like maybe they're lonely because they are lonely. Yeah. And then what do you say? And then, yeah. So are you, are you positively invalidating that? Are you telling them, no, you're not lonely? So when I was, um, start, I, I love acupuncture. I found it's really been helpful for, you know, a lot of conditions, everything from whatever hot flashes to like tendon problems. Right. Um, and I one time went, I started out by going to an acupuncture place where there were a few different acupuncturists. And one of them uh, was a woman who, um, she actually ran the place. And I'd never worked with her before. Um, and she had this really gentle manner. And she was, you know, she gets the needles placed and everything like that. And she's sort of going around to others because it's a community acupuncture. And at one point she says to me, I, I called her over and I said, uh, I said, this needle is hurting you know, can you please yeah. take it out? Which other people, they told, they'll just be like, sure, I'll take it out. You know, she says to me, oh, that's not really hurting you. Your mind is telling you that it's hurting you, but it's really not hurting you. So I need to leave it in there. I was like, 
what the frick? <laughs> like, no, no, no. It really is hurting. I'm, like, even if it is my brain, my brain is saying it's hurting. Yeah, so it's hurting. It's actually hurting me. Like, don't tell me what I'm feeling and what I'm not feeling. Right. And um, another acupuncturist, uh, I, I that was the last time I ever went to her. I told everybody I could that this is what happened to me. Like, right. I wanted everybody to know that this is not a cool thing. And, and um unless you want to be treated like that, don't go to this acupuncturist, basically. And then I had, uh, you know, I don't know, six months or a year later, I'm at another acupuncturist and, and I say to her, hey, this, this needle hurts. Can you please take it out? And she says, listen, I know it hurts, but here's the thing. If a needle hurts, that means it's, it's doing its job. It's a conduit. It's pulling stuff out. So if you can think of it that way, does that make you like, is it okay if we try it a little bit longer? And I was like, of course it is. See, but she listened to you. Exactly. It was so validating. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, um, you got to listen. You yeah. got to listen. And it was so interesting. It was a conference by Ross Green, who does um, collaborative and proactive solutions. So mm-hmm. it used to be called collaborative problem solving. And he talks about listening. And it's such a huge part of this process of just listening and hearing what a kid has to say about the problem. And actually paying attention and actually letting them feel like they're a part of the process yeah. is huge. Huge. It, yeah. is, it is the foundation of what he does. And it really makes a difference. It's the difference between a child who's gonna take an interest and do it and a child who's gonna rebel, I feel like. I mean, because right. you're not you're like taking away control is so devastating to any of us, you know, right. but I feel like especially with a kid where you know, kids know is said to them so often, like they just can't do whatever 90% of the things they want to do. There's a statistic um, from the book, The Slight Edge. And I know he gets it from somewhere else, but I don't know where, where uh, before kids are five years old, or by the time they're five, they've heard the word no 40,000 times. Wow. And they've only heard the word yes, 5,000 times. It's like an eight to one ratio of no's to yeses. I'm going to I'm going to write down to link to that as well. Wow. Slight edge. And um before we move on, I I'm going to I'm I'm actually glad that my phone is in here right now because um my Jason was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Right. In fact, uh, Janine just met Jason this morning and and complimented him on his, on his show, so that was very cool. And <laughs> and also I'm just so happy that you like listen to the show. That makes me feel really good. <laughs> well, and I I you know, some I listen to a lot of podcasts and then I was scrolling through and I, and you know, I'm looking at different ones that I have subscribed to. And I said, Oh my gosh, her son was on. I need to listen. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, it was a really cool show. And so we talked about like, it was just before Halloween. So we, I wanted to get into like kids and fears, like how to help kids feel better when they're afraid of things. And one of the things that Jay says is he's describing, like we used to have this container of monster spray, right. which was just water in a, in a container. But, um, you know, he's talking about how like that was really helpful for him. And, and he goes on to say, like, don't just don't look under the bed and then tell kids there's, you know, there's nothing under the bed. Like, cause they don't, they don't, they still aren't going to believe it. And then he says, you can stop dismissing these fears now because they're real to me. Right. And it's like, you know, if I feel like if people can take nothing else, that is such an important thing to, to help kids cope with everything to cope with their, you know, yeah, their fears and absolutely to just acknowledge that those feelings what they're feeling are real. Yeah. And we can figure out a way to solve the problem. But we got to just start with I hear you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Then and especially once they're heard, that makes it so much easier for them to be amenable to a solution that you might propose or right. um, and it I feel like it has the opposite effect too. it makes me more amenable to a solution that they might propose, right? Because it's got to work for them, right? It whatever. has to work for both of you. Yeah. If there's a problem, there's there are two of you that are there. And there's two of you in the problem. There's two people that can offer solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the world is built on compromise, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the other the, and I feel like this has come up the other one that the other blog post that I really got pulled into um, on your on encouraged no on coping skills for was the how to make a feelings faces chart oh I love that one it's so cool because so many we've just been talking about this how kids don't sometimes don't even know what they're feeling or right. don't know what the expression of their friend is telling them right right and what 
when I first started out, there was this one particular feelings chart that every was in every therapist's office, in every counselor's room, and every wherever I went. And it was cartoon faces. And I think that's cool. And it can work for you. But sometimes you actually really need to see what do people's eyebrows look like when they're mad? Mm-hmm. What does it look like when they're sad? What does it look like when they're frustrated? So to be able to actually use either your that your own kid's face or other just random kids' faces to really help kids understand what it looks like when they feel when people feel that way and then to be able to identify that in movies, in TV shows, when you're out walking, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're just sitting at the mall and people watching, it's a a great activity sometimes. I wonder what they're feeling. What are their, what's their face look like? Yeah. Let's see what, and let's pick up from clues as to what's going on around you, around them. Like, well, it looks like they might be frustrated. They just dropped something and just threw something to the ground. Oh. Let's maybe walk away (laughs) and get to scooting. But it's just interesting to be able to use those teachable moments to talk about what a feelings look like. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, so important. Um, I actually have a similar, uh, well, I had a similar thing. So I wrote a book called Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics. And in there, um, I talk about the importance of like a feelings book, making some kind of a, a book with your child so that like you take pictures on your phone and make an album of different expressions that they've made, that we've made, you know, right. stuff like that. So it's along uh, along those very similar lines. So, okay, I want to change. Um, I, I want to shift topics a little bit. I read this in the paper today and it blew my mind. Um, I still can't believe this. 50,000 preschoolers were suspended in 2016. Yep. Suspended from school. Yes. In preschool. Yeah. And 17,000 additional kids were expelled from preschool. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so there's more. There's I feel like there's more ands. Um, where are the rest of these? Okay. 82% of these suspensions and expulsions were boys. Of course they were. Yeah. Yeah. Because, right? Because, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. And black children were 2.2 times more likely to be suspended or expelled. Absolutely. Like WTF. Right. There's a there's so much there, right? I know. I know. I'm like, I got to talk to her about this. <laughs> there's so much there. So first of all, like, I think the expectations at preschool can be a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They are babies. Yeah. They are just learning how to interact and how to play and how to hang out with each other. And it's actually a little bit young for like um, cooperative play. It is. Um, it should be parallel play. So, so talk about that a little bit just for people who, because oh, I, sure. I love I love this idea of parallel play versus cooperative play, but you know. Right. So um, there's these social stages of play. Margaret Parton, I believe it is. Um, she actually discovered this like a lot. I feel like it was a really long yeah, time. Yeah, this has ago. been a yeah, an observed thing for a long, long time. For a long generations time. Generations or decades anyway. And so play starts when you are an infant. You can babies play. And even as infants, they play with their feet, they play with their fingers, and they, you know, they can sort of interact with their grown-ups that are around them. But as you get older, you start to get interested in other kids. But the first step, one of the first steps that you take after you're an infant and you're playing is actually just playing side by side with a child. And that's parallel play. So you're not playing, you're not sharing toys. You're just hanging out next to each other, playing with something independently. Mm -hmm. And that is preschool. (laughs) Yes, it's the preschool years right there. That is preschool. I feel like at four, you see a little bit more interaction. You see a little more cooperative play. But really, it's it's more like five, right? Right. Before you really start to say. So describe cooperative play. What's happening in cooperative play? Cooperative play is when you're actually starting to be interested in the other kid. And you see that they have other toys that look kind of cool. And then you they see that you have toys that look kind of cool. And you sort of try and start playing together. So maybe you make something together or work on something together. And, you know, it's it's a process and it, mm-hmm. it goes through stages and everything like that. So then as kids get older, then they do a lot more com- complex things like making up rules to games together that everybody agrees on and things like that. And I, you know, I see that with my daughter. So they have these elaborate play games at recess where somebody's like an evil butterfly and somebody is trying to get the captain or something like that. And it's these huge elaborate games that everybody is agreeing on. Everybody agrees with the rules. And if you break the rules, the other kids get mad. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, there are set rules here, and when right. you know you can't you can't change them around. Or like if I I can remember my kids used to play. I don't remember what it was called, but they would go uh, they'd go to a friend's house and they'd be playing some game that, that made perfect sense to them. And I'd be like, "Why are you guys doing that this way?" And they'd be like, "It's just how it's played, you know. Like, don't don't interrupt right, us." Exactly. <laughs> and they're you know six, seven, eight, nine years old right. doing that kind of play. So it's not it's not a preschool age thing. No, and the I, it's a it's a time where you're teaching them how to get ready to do those things. Yeah. So to expect them to be ready to be able to cooperatively play all day long is outrageous. They can't do it. Yeah. They're not built to do it. And and when I think about the boy, because you were like, of course, yes. 85% of boys. Did I say 85%? I feel like I did. 82% of the suspension expulsions were boys. Why do you think that is? Like, why we both went, uh-huh. Because I honestly, because we both have boys. So we know what boys look like yeah. when they are little and that age. They are busy. Yeah. They are, they, my son literally climbed the walls when he was three. Mm-hmm. He would climb the doorways and yeah, climb. Oh my gosh, my kids did that. <laughs> yes. Oh, but you know what? That. You know who didn't do it? My daughter. Yeah. She, and, yeah. and it wasn't a socialization thing. In my, in all honesty, she loved trains. She loved playing boy games, quote unquote boy games. We didn't say you only can play with dolls or you can uh-huh. only do this. Here's this pink thing for you, right. sweetheart. We just let it all hang out. And she was, and she really loved trains when she was little. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine and whatever. She and she liked watching videos of cars being put together and that sort of. So we did that, mm-hmm. but she never climbed the walls. Yeah ever. She was not a jumper. My son is a jumper. He literally jumps from furniture to furniture in the living room. And you can just tell they're they're just built a little bit differently. So they need a lot more movement. And that's just what I've seen with in general with boys that I've worked with. They love to move. I don't typically I don't see um, boys who want to sit and color and draw with me. Now, sometimes I do. Yep. But most of the time when especially you know, we do a lot. I used to do a lot of therapy while playing basketball or therapy yeah. while moving, therapy That's while right, because, walking. Because you are a mental health counselor first yes. and foremost, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I do a lot of one on one work with kids and I have for my entire career. And I love it, but I also know what I do and what I offer for f- typically for a child. Like I see what they like. And, initially and then we go from there mm-hmm. but for the boys a lot of times they'd be like well if we can go outside can we go outside <laughs> yeah 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 i feel like i i'm sure like you it's like we don't want to stereotype we don't want to be like no. okay girls are always this way or boys are always this way no, but once you've not. worked with hundreds or thousands of boys and girls there are some real clear differences that 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 you see right um i'm thinking of a book that i read a couple years ago several years ago now called cinderella ate my daughter do you remember that book did you ever no, read it I oh never my gosh it's, i really awesome. want i want to have peggy ornstein on the show at some point um i'm just going to link to cinderella ate my daughter um it is a book about how it's a book about i think on its surface uh, she was really struggling with like the, the kind of like the sexualization of toys for girls and clothes for girls, you know, like yes. she's having this argument with her like five-year-old daughter in the airport. Cause her daughter wants a Bratz doll. And oh, she's like, gracious. she's like, you cannot have a Bratz doll. And the little girl is like, but why not? And she goes, I wanted to say, because they're slutty. That's why. <laughs> but how do you explain the concept of slutty to a five-year-old child? You, you right. can't. Um, and it makes me think of a friend of ours who, when she was like seven or eight, she desperately wanted a pirate costume, but it was like a sexy pirate costume for Halloween. And that, that was not happening. And she didn't understand why not. You know what I mean? Um, so it's really, it, the book is about that on its surface. But even if you only have boys, if you're listening to this, even if you only have boys, I only have boys and I got so much out of it. It's a lot about like, how do kids develop a sexual identity? How do they know that they're a boy? Or how do they know that they're a girl? And I'll tell you, it's not because of private parts. They know that because of what they see other boys and other girls wearing and doing and what they wear and what they do and like how they, you know, how their hair gets worn or how like if if they're you know if they're gonna identify as being a boy or as being a girl they they for all they know everybody has the same private parts that they do that's not what does it right it's the it's the social stuff so I mean I think you know there is this 
stereotypical idea that like girls are this way and boys are that way, but it's really a societal, it's how it's happened in society. Yes. Right. And I, and you know, the thing is, it's never, people talk about, was it, is it nature or nurture? And my mm-hmm. answer and what I discovered very early on, it's both. You can't just say it's only nature or only nurture. They influence each other. Yep. They affect each other. And obviously it makes the most sense that it would be both because you can't take one and not have the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they both, they, they interact all the time. They're like interlocked from the time that you're an embryo. Exactly. You know? From the time that you're ever, ever there. I mean, and so, um, so those are some of the differences. Like these are some of the reasons why you and I are shocked that all these kids are getting expelled or getting, um, getting suspended. But that doesn't, I feel like a listener could be like, well, big deal. Like, so they, they don't, they don't cooperatively play it. What's the problem? So what is happening that would get these kids expelled or suspended? Do you think, I mean, you know, having not looked at the study. Being aggressive. Uh, Aggression. I, I'll i tell you right now, because I used to work with kids who had been expelled oh, from preschool. Yeah. So it's the aggressive piece of it. So there are kids who might have big feelings, but don't express it in an aggressive way. Mm-hmm. It's the, um, oh my gosh, I'm going back to Ross Green in the conference, and I can't remember who said this, but there, um, I think it was Ross Green. He says that there are um, kids who are lucky versus unlucky in terms of expressing their emotions. So the kids who are lucky are the ones who express it by crying or whining or... um, Or hold it in. (laughs) Or holding it in, honestly. The unlucky ones are the ones who throw things or hit or kick or spit. They're feeling the same emotion, but they're expressing it in either an unlucky or a lucky way. So the lucky kids, people feel empathy for them and people want to help them. So if you see a crying kid, most people are like, oh, gosh, are you okay? Or, you know... If they maybe like stamp their foot and then sit down and cross their arms, people are probably going to go over and talk to them and help them figure it out. If a kid is hucking blocks at your head because he's mad, you don't want to figure it out. You want him to stop and you get angry about it. Yeah. And completely expected emotion. Yeah. Like it would be and it would be frustrating and it would be you would feel nervous about the other kids in the room because this kid is hucking blocks. Yeah. But it's he's just having a feeling and expressing it in a less than healthy way. Yeah. And and it just so I used to work for years and years. I worked in a preschool program, uh, which was a semi public program. I was there from the year that it began. And what started to happen was we were kind of a receptacle for kids who'd been expelled from other programs. They would come into our program as usually as a special needs kid, like a kid with behavioral issues or something like that. And um, it taught me that they're just kids. Yeah. You know, like we were never going to expel these kids. They were here because they needed our help. And uh, actually, I had the really great good fortune of working with a special needs teacher where I was the typical kids teacher in this integrated classroom. And she was and it was about half and half. Um, And like, I feel like I have so many things I could say about that. I mean, just starting with the fact that if you walked into that room, you couldn't necessarily tell who was who. You know what I mean? Truth. Uh, Which I think is so important you know, uh, for a listener to hear, like, I feel like if you have a special needs kid, a lot of times you feel like that kid stands out all the time. And right. that's not really true. I mean, you know, um, I can see why you would feel that way. Yes, absolutely. but, um, but it's not, it's not necessarily true. Anyway, um, that was, that's like a little side idea, but really what I'm thinking about is how, um, uh, my, heart would go out to those kids like as, as I think about this idea of lucky or unlucky because they're just it's just feelings that they're having you know what I mean and like our our main goal was to get if we could get them to say something even if it was a swear even if it was right. something horrible it's better than hitting somebody right you know yeah no it's always that and I, I used to work um in residential facilities and um, with kids who had been placed out of their regular school district. So they had come to the special school district because of behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, because they couldn't, they just weren't able to be in a typical classroom setting. So a lot of times it would be, I, I just want you to like, let's even just start with what are you feeling? Because just to be able to identify what that feeling was. Yeah. And all right, great. I like, all right, let's start with that. And now I'm noticing that you're mad and you're throwing things or you're hitting the wall. So let's try and do something that's less destructive to you and to the property mm-hmm. and try something different. So it was just sort of degrees of getting you started on the right in the right track. Yeah. Yeah. 
Woo. Um, I wanted to read a quote from, so this is a study done by the Center for American Progress, which is, I know is a, is an organization that I've heard of. I've, you know, um, I don't know much about them except that this seems like a pretty compelling study. And oh, also the other thing that I know is that they did this study last year and there were similar results last year. Wow. So for 2015, the numbers were similar, which is just, I think it's so crazy. Shocking. Um, so one of the things that they say is there's this gentleman named Rashid Malik of the Center for American Progress. And he says, these disciplinary rates are particularly shocking since suspending and expelling young children has not been shown to produce positive behavioral results. Quite the opposite. Such practices can intensify the challenges faced by these children and their parents and have even been discussed as first stage in a preschool to prison pipeline. Yes. And it just, that just chills me to the bone. Yes. <laughs> especially because, especially because like if 82% of these are boys, right. that's a mighty lot of boys. And if two, if more than twice the amount of minority children it's happening to, right. I mean, like that's, why do you, I mean, from the teacher's perspective, why, why is that? Do you have any thoughts? I have no idea. <laughs> and that's, and that's such a, I know that's such a cop out, but I really, I, I, I think there's so many layers to it to sort of say it's this or it's that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so much easier and for me to think about, okay, why are preschool kids getting kicked out? I know why. Um, and I, I, I assume that's probably why, because they're being unsafe and threatening. Yeah, their and, behavior is is aggressive. Or but why are you picking up on the minorities more? Are you noticing the behaviors more? Is it scarier? Is it is it something... Is it a bias that you have? Is it a, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And that's, and it's, it, I mean, it's just like race in this country. It's such a layered issue mm -hmm. that you can't just pick one thing out and be like, that's exactly why. There's probably a thousand reasons why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure if you ask those teachers, they would be like, well, I mean, clearly this was happening. Like we had to do this. We had no right. choice. We had to act on this. Um, But it's so, I, I've got goosebumps. I mean, it's just so chilling because just the phrase, preschool to prison pipeline I, I mean it's just like when you think of it that way um I I learned early on in teaching that what we expect is oftentimes what actually happens that's what the outcome is so right. if we and I I you know I I don't have access to the studies that I I probably do somewhere in my like file of stuff from from graduate school or whatever but um there's real good evidence for that like if you so I'm thinking about there was a study of like Latino kids in Texas, I feel like. Um, and it had to do with the number of kids who... Uh, so, I mean, it, it gets into things like intelligence tests, which I really question the validity of them anyway. But if you... Like, within this community, within this school, there were kids who were Mexican in origin, you know, in ethnicity, and there were kids who were white. And the kids who were uh, Mexican were more often put in the lower level, like the sort of dumber classes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the, and the white kids were put in a, in a different, in a higher level. And um, it, it was, this study was done to show that the reason for that is because at the very beginning, the teacher's expectations at the in, beginning of their school careers, the teacher's expectations were that this kid it, who looks this way is going to, perform that perform way. that way exactly and then and then what they so this was the clever thing about this particular study what they did was they set expectations very differently so um the teachers were told these kids are stars like this kid is really good in this way and this kid is really good in that way and um so they've got a a, a mixed group of kids and all of those kids through the rest of their school careers did much, much better because the teachers expected them to do better. Wow. You know, I mean, isn't that like, it's, it's powerful. It is. It's really powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just getting it back to like a person listening, I feel like for you, um, the expectations that you have for your child right now are the things that you can pretty well guess are going to actually come true. Right. So if your expectation is that, uh, I don't know. Can you think of any expectations that a person might have for their children, Janine? Gosh. Like, 
to be able to, well, for me, I think about my expectations. I just want my kids to be a nice contributing member of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah. I don't really care what they do or <laughs> Whatever makes where happen. they live. <laughs> Whatever floats their boat. So, but you have expectations that your children will read, right? Yes, I do. Yes. You have expectations that they will um, not be aggressive with friends. You right. have expectations that they will, um, I'm sure with your background, like, your kids must be awfully good at or getting good anyway at recognizing other people's faces and and understanding what that face is telling them right right and then being well I guess expectations along those lines like being respectful and kind being you know sweet to your sister and to your brother now that is a challenge because they are siblings but it's an expectation that you have and therefore it'll probably happen right I'm hoping yeah (laughs) I know (laughs) someday you can't always (laughs) <laughs> it can't always happen in every instance. So in our family, when I think about the expectations that we had, I I looked at this in a different way a couple of years ago, um, when it was kind of too late. So we are a very verbal family. I, you know, I'm a singer, my mom is a singer, I get up and tell live stories, I've got a podcast, I mean, very, very verbal, my husband was a sound recording um, you know, he does the, he's the producer of the show because he, he went to school for sound recording. He understands it so incredibly well. All these things that are uh, either verbal or auditory in nature and not, for example, mathematical, right? Right. Um, none of us are, none of us feel like math stars. And a few years ago, I, I learned of a, of a woman, a mathematician who, instead of telling bedtime stories, like from a reading from a book, they would tell bedtime stories that were math. They would like solve math problems together. They would wow. they would do things at bedtime that were fun. So basically teaching their children the language of math. And I was like, damn, I wish we had done that because <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, they're they are finding their ways. You know what I mean? We, we try to say to them, whatever you want, if you want it and, and math is holding you back, well, then we're going to help you find a way to to do the math. Right. But I never had the expectation that my children would be mathematicians in the way that I had the expectation that they would be incredibly verbal and good debaters and good thinkers. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so that's that's one way where it's played out for me. And I feel like that window has closed in that sense. We're not going to sit down with our 17 and 13-year-olds and do bedtime stories about math, right? No. But it's also what you choose to value and what you want to value. Exactly. And it's okay to pick. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, because if you don't pick, you can feel really paralyzed. Right, because you know? it's over. I, I mean, I think parents often day, oftentimes these days feel very overwhelmed. Like you have to do this and you have to do this and it has to be organic and you have to play and all the time. And yeah. you don't actually. No, no, no. But setting an expectation, you know, and even just saying it to yourself, right? My child will, um, will treat, my children will treat each other well. Yes. <laughs> That more than likely, if that's your expectation, you'll find a way to make that. Happen. Whereas, if your expectation is my child is going to grow up to be a you know a, a car thief, right? Then that's probably what's you know like there's a better chance of it happening. Like, why not right. make the odds be in your favor? Exactly. I think I think that's exactly. a good way to good way to think about that. So we are. This conversation has gone completely. I lo- I have really enjoyed it. It's it's gone in a completely different direction than I was kind of expecting, but I think a really really important direction um and our time is short it's actually eleven fifty-eight. so oh we were, gracious, we're planning on fast. we i know it really was we've got a lunch date in two minutes <laughs> but maybe we can spend an extra two you know five minutes something like that Absolutely. um because i feel like i fe- i actually feel like what we have been talking about this idea of like of validating their feelings, you know, starting with that and then having expectations that are appropriate for our kids and that, you know, that we we really do expect and uphold these for them. Um, that's going to f- bring us really well into uh, this time of the year, which we are entering like the the big end of year kind of high stress holidays. And I want to, I, I do want to talk about this, but I want it to be useful for parents, not just at Christmas time and New Year's or, you know, uh, whatever religious holiday or non-religious holiday people might be celebrating. Um, I want it to be useful in other high, high stress holiday situations, birthdays, right? Halloween, which has already passed, um, you know, Easter with its chocolate filled craziness. My gracious. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so is it safe to say that behavioral issues ramp up 
late in the year? I mean, do you see that? Ask any teacher. Uh So this is this is the time of year, this time between Halloween and when we leave for a holiday break. This is it. This and you just see it getting a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more ramped up as time goes on. And it's sort of like the bubble bursts when they go to holiday in December. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of starts to build up, starts to build up, starts to build up until testing time. Yeah. And then it starts to build up, build up, build up until um, it's the end of the school year, which Mm -hmm. is that like anticipation piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. This is a tough time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And can you think of I mean, I think probably this is where I really want to end. So we've got we've got parents whose kids are either with them, you know, in a in an at home setting, or they go to daycare, or they go to preschool, or they go to school, and they come home and they are just and, and maybe issues have happened at school, you know, if if my son was going to come home with a yellow card, because he had been a disciplinary problem in kindergarten, it was it was likely, you know, this time of year. Yeah, that this was when those things started to happen for him. So what what can parents do to kind of just take it down a notch at home, I guess. So the first thing I would do is really look at your schedule and see what you can pull out. Mm, what, what can you say no to? What can you say no to? Um, so do they have to do four after school activities? No. What can you drop? Um, you don't have to attend every holiday party you're invited to. You mm. don't have to do every expectation that people think of when they think about holidays. So you don't have to send out cards. I don't actually send out cards and I will be on it. And I know sometimes it bothers my family and I say, I love you. And if you want me to come to Christmas and be happy, I'm not sending a can't card. Can't do cards. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. I'm not, it's not, it, I, it is so stressful for me on top of everything else. I become this upsetting bear in my house instead of being this person that I want to be. Mm-hmm. So I just learned years ago, it's just, it's not worth it to me. Yep. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And being okay. And I think that's the other piece that parents have to figure out. What are you okay? Be okay with saying no. Because it's one thing to say no, but then if you have the guilt about it, then where does that leave you? Then you just feel bad. You know, my kids ask me for Elf on the Shelf every year and I just don't do it because I know I I just can't do it. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to somehow miss the elf on the shelf phenomenon. But Gosh. that is where every every day the elf ends up in a different place. Is it something yes. like that? And so- I just can't. I there are I have I knew this woman who did an amazing, incredible job with it. It made her happy. It gave her joy. She loved it. She would have them going into marshmallows. She would have them skiing. Awesome. <laughs> and it was and she loved it and yeah. that gave her it that it gave was, her joy. It gave her that joy. That was something she was saying yes to. Yep. And go ahead and say yes to it. Yeah. That is not that is not my thing. So so maybe what she was doing though is saying no to other things that didn't matter as much to her. Exactly. Right? Like Yeah, exactly. So you pick pick the traditions that give you joy, that give you peace, that um that you enjoy together, the things you enjoy doing. And, you know, try you can always try something different and and see if that would work for you one year, but be okay with thinking, okay, so we tried doing this thing this year, and that didn't really work out for us so well, or I didn't like it, or the kids weren't great with it. So mm-hmm. maybe you, you can always change things, right? There's nothing right. set in stone. It, absolutely. Yep. So to be able to just really think about what needs to be prioritized, and what can I let go and yeah. be okay with letting go of it? Yeah, that is, gosh, I, I mean, that is that is the one I think if if listeners can follow that one piece of advice, they're going to be much, much happier. And their kids, like it it frees up your time too. So if you've got somebody coming home who's had something go wrong at school or they're really sad or unhappy or, or, uh, you know, hyped up or something like that, if you have less on the docket, you have more time to to commit to, you know, helping them find equilibrium or, um, or, enjoy some just quiet quality time with them you know whatever that means sometimes for us quiet quality time was out in the yard in the freezing cold um where when when my youngest what he was definitely the more the mover like he he had so much more energy to get out which was good because max and i were very we would have been content to sit by the fire like all day but sometimes it's better to move around a little bit you know so what we would do and 
Janine is looking out our back on our backyard. So right there in the backyard, there would be these two gigantic, almost like exercise balls. And Jay would line them up. This was from when he was about two. He would line them up and then he would go about 50 feet away from them and he would take a running leap and he would skim over them. Like, so that he's moving on the balls. You know that what I mean? sounds awesome. He had a blast. And he actually, he's to this day, we have an exercise ball inside downstairs yeah. and he will still do that. He'll he'll move everything out of the way so that he can just take a running leap. He's 13. He's you know taller what? than I am. <laughs> go for it. If he loves it, let him do it, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, if he can be safe with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to be safe with it. So, but that, I mean, that, for me, that really counts as quality time because it's a yes. blast. You know what I mean? It's a blast to kind of watch him come up with what he's going to do next. And um, my, some of my favorite things to do, if you just want to do something quiet and have your child be involved, were um, cornstarch and combining cornstarch and water to make so much goop. fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I I always like those with the little, especially when they were really small or play doh or something like that, because um, you don't have to, you don't have to. I feel like sometimes parents get caught up in this idea that like, well, we have to make, you know, uh, uh, we have to, we have to cut out shapes and we have to put them in a certain way to make an elf, to make a, right. a turkey or something like that. I mean, those are, those are fine if kids want to do them, but sometimes kids just want to take the scissors and cut bits off of the paper because it's really cool to, to do that. You know, sometimes yeah. kids just want to, want to use goop, want to, want to play with Play-Doh. And I always loved those, the goop and Play-Doh kind of things because, you could just sit there quietly and, and sometimes kids would talk, you know, they'd ask you questions or they'd, they'd just talk and you could just talk to your child and share with them. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually, that's what play therapists do a lot of times. I, when I work with kids, I don't sit them down like I would sit down with an adult and talk. Yeah. We play a game and then we talk as we play. And it's this delicate balance of just enjoying the time and playing the game, but then also getting that chance and opportunity to just open up and talk about what's going on. Yeah. And I do it with my own kids. I mean, just in that because we don't have as busy a schedule, it makes it much easier for us to have that availability to sit down and, and say, okay, so let's just chill out and have some popcorn and relax on the couch for a few minutes and listen to a podcast mm -hmm. and then we can talk. Yep. Yep. I love it. I feel like we got to end there. I mean, that's that's some really great ways to handle the busy, busy times of the year and the not so busy times of the year, because that's awesome for those as well. Um, Janine, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It's been wonderful to have you. Thanks for having me again. I'm so excited. <laughs> you're the, so far, you're the only three-time returning champion. So Whoa. We'll see. Your show, by the way, is going to be, we're airing, it'll be live on a Thursday um, in early December, and it's going to be a Your Child Explained episode, which I love because um, what we are doing here is we're looking inside the minds of our kids and figuring out what's going on in there and how to um, how to help. You know, yeah. so I just think that's really, really cool. Thank so you. you can find Janine at I'm trying to find it in my notes where I am here. <laughs> where am I? Okay, there I am. All right. Um, you can find Janine at copingskillsforkids.com and encourageplay.com. And you will find so many awesome resources over there. I mean, definitely go and, and check it out. Um, you will not regret it. <laughs> and you can find me in the, among other places, you can find me in the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group. So we are having such a good time in there. Um, every Tuesday, I'm doing a Facebook Live um, where we talk about what's coming up on the podcast. I share, uh, you know, things I'm grateful for that week usually. And um, I take some questions. It's been really, really cool. And, um, you know, to get there, it's called We Turned Out Okay. You know, it's a group on Facebook. But to get there, you can just click the link in the show notes if you want, because it's one of those things. It's like it's a bunch of numbers like the the it's facebook.com slash groups slash and endless numbers. <laughs> I don't know what they are. So <laughs> um, so like I just said, this conversation is going up in early December. And that means that signups are going on now while you are hearing this for a challenge I'm offering. I've been doing these five day free challenges. Cool. And the latest one I'm doing is called Handle the Holidays. So that's going to start on December 18th, which is a Monday. It's going to be five days of um, an, an email into your inbox to give you just you can an action you can take to get just a small win, something something that feels like you're taking a positive step forward in your like life around the holidays, um, which is not easy 
it can be really hard to just get through them, never mind enjoying them. So that's the goal of this is not only will you get through them, we'll enjoy them more. And um, it's going to end, I bring it up now because it's going to end with a Facebook Live in that uh, in the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group that will basically have to do with the wrap up of the Handle the Holidays Challenge. So go to weturnedoutokay.com slash 201 is what this episode is going to be to number 201 to sign up for the Handle the Holidays Challenge. It's five days. It's free. It's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, I feel like and then you, you'll also that will bring you into the Facebook group where you can like ask questions and talk to us and all that kind of cool stuff. So um, I feel like it's totally possible to enjoy the end of the year and stay sane, even when you're raising children. And, um, and I think with with Janine here to help us today, that's going to be even better. So even cooler. So thank you very, very much for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you have got Janine and me in your ears right now. And I have a special thanks to our producer, the man whose coping skill repertoire includes getting away for some fishing the 20-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. And thanks again so much to you for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,